0: Welcome back to another episode of Kingdom Order Principles. I am Brother Malcolm, and I'm here with Elder Nkinji and Sister Deborah B. I hope you all are doing well. Those who are listening or watching online or podcasts or on YouTube, hope you're doing well and, you know, enjoying yourself as much as you can in this life that we're living. We are continuing our discussion of the institutional church versus the kingdom church. Before we get back in, into the notes, how are you all doing? How are you doing, Elder and Kenji? Sister Deborah B. Ladies first.
1: I am doing well. I had a, a great sleep, which sometimes mm-hmm. is hard with a five-year-old. We had excellent sleep together. He didn't climb over my head all night long or sleep <laughs> on top of me. So I'm feeling great today.
0: <laughs> excellent. <laughs> awesome. As
2: for me, I'm, I'm doing great. My wife and I saw um, The Woman King last mm-hmm. night. That was a great oh, movie. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we enjoyed ourselves. It's my first movie since the pandemic began.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 Outside of
2: the house. So that that was fun on multiple levels.
0: Good stuff. So where we left off from our last session, we were wrapping up the different characteristic traits of the institutional church. Mm -hmm. If it's okay with you, Elder and Kenji, if you could do like a quick rundown of these characteristics before we move on,
2: Sure. I'll, I'll try to be brief. Priority of buildings, offerings, and numeric growth. Uh, we did talk about this in previous episodes, but for brevity's sake, the institutional church uses these metrics to determine whether it's doing well. <laughs> Whereas, you know, the scripture points to very different metrics that have to do with um, the people of God and not these kinds of metrics. I think that's enough for that one. Doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We spoke previously about that word Nicolaitans being a compound word that basically means priests or leadership and laity. And the scripture in in Revelation that we've referenced talks about how Jesus or Yehoshua, we hear uh, Yeshua much, uh, most of the time, but Yehoshua is a Better way in my mind of saying it. It's the same. It's the same name as Hosea and Joshua in the Old Testament. But anyway, um, Jesus says he hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and the reason he hates it is simply this: the definition for the word is is twofold. It it either means um, separation of the priests or the leadership in the people, and that certainly does not contribute to the maturing maturing of the people. And maybe contributes to the the inflated self importance of the leadership, and it also means uh, victory of the priests or leadership over the people. There should be no competition between them. With a loser, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, both of those definitions point to uh, this being something that is is definitely against the will of God, and and the way the institutional church has um, configured. The relationship between the people of God and and the leadership uh, fits this terminology. Moving forward, uh, ignorance of eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times. The scripture says very plainly that if we walk in step with the Most High, He will reveal secrets to us. What has uh, been the teaching of the church with regard to the end times is fallacious. Uh, we talked some in previous episodes about uh, a whisking away of the people, um, whereas the scripture says that the, uh, the righteous will inherit the earth. Um, there's so many things in the scripture that fight against some of the things that are taught about the end, but the kingdom church will have the correct view. Avoidance of controversy, as was pointed out when we've talked about this before, some controversy is spoken about. However, anything that contributes to the potential confusion of the people which might cause them to leave, stop financially supporting, those kinds of things, those kinds of controversies are largely just ignored. Whereas with the the church that is spirit-led, we will find ourselves talking about things that are controversial and not put a lot of emphasis on how people respond to it. You want people to respond correctly but you have to tell them the truth. Amen? Um, And lastly, minimization of eldership, Uh, the way the institutional church is put together. Usually there's a lot of emphasis on one senior person. There may be a staff that has break-off responsibility, but mostly those responsibilities are uh, not so much about the maturing of individual peoples, but the headship of certain programs within an institution. And the way the scripture refers to eldership is not about um, a single high-level individual with other people supporting that individual. Uh, Eldership in the scripture is about men who have matured, who avail themselves to help mature the people of God. And it doesn't have to be one person in one location. Uh, we talked about how Moses, post the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt, how he sat all day uh, receiving uh, uh, controversies and troubles and issues and questions from the whole of the of the nation of Israel, and his father-in-law said, the thing that you're doing is not good, and suggested that you have captains of the hundreds, captains of fifties, ha- captains of tens, and I might even be missing a de- denomination. But the point is this, eldership is about dealing with the people. And the more people you have, the more elders you will need. I think that's a decent recap. What do you think?
0: No. Yeah. Thank you. That w- that was good. I think that encapsulated everything very well. And if you are listening and you want more detail, because we, we kind of dug into it in our previous episodes definitely go back and, and check out the previous recordings but i, I believe sister deborah b actually had a, a question
1: yes in regards to the minimization of eldership mm-hmm. church leaders may interpret this verse as them being this spiritual leader over their congregation does this scripture mean we all need spiritual leaders no matter our position within the body of christ also, do apostles and prophets require spiritual leaders as well?
2: Okay, good questions. Uh, we'll deal with the first one first. the The way of the kingdom generally is submit to authority. Amen. And certainly, if you're very new, um, if you don't find someone who can help guide you, it's easy for you to drift astray. I'm going to go out on a limb here and think and 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 quote a scripture and hope I'm in the right place but I believe it's Matthew 11 and I believe it's verses 28 through 30. the scripture says there or somewhere if I'm incorrect <laughs> the scripture says uh Jesus says rather take my yoke upon you and learn of me and you will find rest for your souls one of the things the most High wants us to understand from that is the use of the words uh yoke That's an agrarian word. That's a word that has to do with, you know, field work. And the most high is very purposeful in his choice of words. Um, Yoke is chosen because it really represents two oxen doing a job. And the way that yoke, the yoke of oxen is put together is you put an older ox with a younger ox, and both they're, they're both powerful, so they're going to dig a trench that you can put seed into. But the older ox has learned how to walk straight. <laughs> the older the older ox is going to influence the younger ox towards a straight walk, towards a walk that enables uh, fruit to, to be born, okay? And certainly that is true of our relationship directly. With Jehoshua or Jesus, but it is also representative of our relationship to mature with eldership. And so we need to understand that we need to be yoked with someone. Uh, and we'll we'll talk in later uh, episodes about the definition of an elder so that it's clear what that is. But the secondary question about apostles and prophets, you know, Ephesians, uh Ephesians chapter four, I believe between verses eleven and through sixteen, you have the introduction of this idea of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, et cetera, so on, right? So the question is, does that class of leadership also need uh, eldership? And the answer is yes. Okay. You can be an immature prophet. You can be an immature apostle. I think we talked about in previous episodes how the scripture says in Jeremiah chapter one, uh, I think it's in verse five, that the Most High said, I, you know, I appointed you a prophet to the nations while you were in your mother's uh, womb. So, you know, day seven or we'll make it nine because he, get, he gets uh, circumcised on the eighth day. But on, on the ninth day of life, he wasn't ready to fulfill his calling. Amen. And so he did grow to the place where he doesn't need constant counsel with a human. But it takes a long time for a fivefold minister to get there. And even when they're there, their understanding, their submission to the Most High makes them ready to submit to anybody that is speaking from the perspective of the Most High. You know, I'll I'll throw in a monkey wrench for listeners. Um, I I believe it's in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll, we'll correct the place because I'm feeling unconfident about that. But there's scripture that has to do with marriage. And at the beginning, and I do believe it is Ephesians 5, but we'll fix it if I'm wrong. But I believe at verse 20, the scripture says, submitting yourselves one to another. And it goes on later talking about the husband and the wife. And we know that, you know, submissiveness is typically uh, subscribed to the wife. Well, the script, the whole discourse starts with them submitting to one another. And if we're all a part of the bride of Christ, men have to learn to submit too. In fact, part of the reason that the Most High has ordained that women be submissive is because men are very visual. And if we watch you submit, we learn how to do it. Okay. So, you know, I went on a tangent there, but the idea of a leader in the body of Christ even a seasoned one he never gets to the point where he is walking in an autonomous fashion all by himself he may not have one person alone that he's dealing with but he's with a group of leaders where they all submit to one another but if you're not if you're not an apostle or a prophet or one of those lists from Ephesians 4 and you're not very mature you need a elder to submit to.
0: No, I, I think that's um, that's really good. And thank you for asking that question, Sister B. Um Because I, I feel like even that ties a lot into how the institutional church operates mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. in regards to like their standards or even what people aspire to. Mm. Because even even with like, I know this is a discussion that we've had off, off broadcast, but about calling and purpose and things like that. Mm -hmm. i know within the institutional church sometimes if say a young man or young woman is asked to you know speak at like an easter service or something like that Mm -hmm. and say they give a good presentation they're i don't know talking about you know uh so you know they do like the the seven last words of of christ so say yeah so say they were given oh you know you're going to talk on word three or whatever. And they give a good presentation. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people may assume, oh, you're going to be a teacher or you're going to be a pastor because of your presentation. And it's almost like in the institutional church, sometimes they will rush the process along so that you can go ahead and fulfill this role. Mm -hmm. And just because you meet a certain amount of credentials. It's kind of like, oh, you are ready to now mm-hmm. be a pastor, or you are now ready to be a teacher. Or even I would say sadly, at, at times now people can go online and get degrees and now they're an apostle. You know, like there are a lot of things that you can <laughs> go through a a, a a very um shortened process to now get to this place where, oh, you are accredited or you are um credentialized. E- e- credentials Exactly. You are credential credentialized to now fulfill this role when Throughout scripture, that's not the case. Even even for what came to mind while you were you were talking um, in regards to like elders and things like that, it I, I made me think of even David, even though at a young age, his calling and purpose was appointed to him or clarified, he still had to go through a process before yes. he even got to the place where he could lead as a king. And even even in that place, he, he still needed prophets to help him get his act together because he was... As we know, (laughs) he was human. Exactly. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But I I find it interesting that with this, even going back to the idea of priority of buildings, offerings and things like that, sometimes Mm -hmm. the people, sadly, the people who are oftentimes people are used to help prioritize the the benefit of the buildings and offerings in the numbers. So if I can get, you know, I'm sure maybe you all have had this experience. When it's Youth Sunday, that's when they want you to invite your friends. They sure. want you because the youth pastor is somebody you can relate to. So it's like, oh, he may be or she may be beneficial and, and loving and serving people, but we got to make sure that we get as many youth and young people in here because that means we can ultimately get more numbers. Even yeah. if it has the the image of like, oh no, we're serving the community. It's like, well, oh, why couldn't your why can't they just come when the regular pastor is talking? Why couldn't, you know, what's up with that? Like, why is it only during youth explosion or youth whatever? Like <laughs> that, it yeah. it's, you know, it's it's just very interesting that within the institutional church in regards to these characteristics that we see, it ultimately comes down to self-serving, even at the expense of people, which is uh, heartbreaking.
2: Heartbreaking,
0: indeed. Yeah.
1: And I, I think it's, again, it goes back to that business model that we talked about, in the previous episode it's the uh, promotion and the marketing that is done within the church to gather and collect new members mm. and more of that it becomes less of salvation and discipleship mm. because They have to, you know, pay bills or whatever their mission statement is. They have to make sure they hit that mission statement. So sometimes what they are called to do gets lost because of that business model that's also in front of them.
0: Right. Sad, but true. Absolutely. So we have covered at this point sufficiently the institutional church characteristics. Now we're going to move on to kingdom church characteristics. All right. So. Let's just jump right into it. Let's let's get Absolutely. to the first one, uh, Elder and Kenji.
2: Okay. Priority on the present truth. I understand that that terminology might be uh, new for some folk, but it's derived directly from the scriptures. It's not something I came up with on my own. For this reason, this is Peter speaking, for this reason, I will not be negligent to always to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. I'm reading from the new King James version. If you're reading from the King James, you still see those words, present truth. I'll, I'll read it again. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. So the question obviously is, Well, what is the present truth? The present truth is this. It's what the Most High has revealed from the scriptures that's always been there, but has been hidden from the body uh, for a season, either due to negligence or the timing of the Most High. I will give you an example so that the concept sinks in for you. In Acts chapter 10, you have the story of a Italian soldier who was so interested in following the Most High that he gave so much that the Most High took note of it and sent an angel to his house. And he says, look, you call for Peter, Apostle Peter, to come to your house and was very specific in the language. I won't try to quote it all. It's all in, in Acts chapter 10 for your reading, Peter, who is a Hebrew. Okay. Uh, the proper term is Hebrew. The term we've come to, to use is Jew Jew is really a shortening of, uh, Yehuda or Yehudi or Judah. Okay. Um, I don't know if Peter was from the tribe of Judah or not, but he was certainly a Hebrew. Okay. And due to his uh intent to please the most high, he had a practice of not eating unclean foods. He was, he was, uh, he was hungry. Some folk were getting ready to pre- prepare some food for him. And in the interim, he said, Let me let me go spend some time with Father Yah. And while he's doing that, he fell into a trance. And while in this trance, he saw a vision. And in the vision, there was a, you know, like a sheet filled with all kinds of unclean foods lowered. And a a voice said to him, "Uh, Peter, rise and eat or kill and eat. And Peter was like, no, no, yeah, you know, I've never eaten pork. You know, I don't, I don't eat shrimp. I don't do lobster. (laughs) <laughs> if I'm stepping on your toes, it's okay. It, it's the law. You know, I'm not saying that if you eat these things, you are absolutely separated from the most high because you are not. The law we follow now is the law of uh faith, the law of grace. However, it is interesting that all of those kinds of unclean foods that seem to taste so wonderful and you know go so well with. With outdoor uh, cookouts and things like that, um, most nutrition, nutritionists will tell you that they're not so good for you. But anyway, so he's told three times. He sees the same thing: this lowering of this this the sheet of unclean foods, and you know the statement Peter, "Rise, kill, and eat," and he says no. And once he's relieved of this trance. He's sitting there contemplating this, surely confused. And shortly thereafter, some people arrive at the door he's at of the home he's in, which is not his own. And they were sent there and told to, um, you know, get Peter and, and follow them. And Peter, understanding that the Most High is involved, does that goes with him, and inevitably ends up at this house of this Italian man whom the scripture uh, would call a Gentile. Okay. And Cornelius is his name, if I'm not mistaken. And because he is so, uh, so devout, not only was he there awaiting, he had, he, he'd he'd gotten his people there. He had his family. He had, you know, people maybe that um, were subject to him in his, his army rank, but the house was full of folk and Peter came and then explained, you know, he recounted the vision and understood that the Most High was telling him that now is the time that Gentiles may enter in to this kingdom thing, that they were not excluded. Amen? Now, look, from when you read the scriptures from the very beginning, you clearly see that the Most High had always intended to save anyone who would come but because of the the focus of the law being on the people of god it was easy for the people of god to assume that those that were not hebrew were excluded even though in the law it was clear that if a stranger came and did what they did that they were welcome but in that moment in acts chapter 10 it became present truth that the kingdom was open to the gentiles just like it was open to the the Hebrews and the 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 thing that convinced Peter and those that were with him is that the spirit of the living God fell on the the gentiles just as well as as it had fallen on them so to conclude although i gave you that example the present truth is something that the Most High reveals in a space of time that was not previously understood, but now is, I guess a good word is now it's fact. And so you can't act as though going forward that what the Most High revealed was had not been revealed. You get it? That's being established in the present truth. And the kingdom church has a priority on walking in what the Most High has revealed, presently,
0: that's really good. Um, I had a lot of thoughts were swirling in my head about that, um, but just I, I think that that is so important, um, and we see it even throughout Scripture how the people in, in in the in the book, particularly Hebrew people, kind of struggle with this, <laughs> struggle oh. with dealing with present truth or even mm-hmm. just being present um as mm-hmm. the story and the work of the most high progresses because the way the way i think of it and the way i see it is is since the most high is knows everything he knows yes. the end from the beginning like he, he has a complete understanding of how the story is supposed to go
2: mm-hmm.
0: and the struggle for us is that we are only one little spot on the story sure and we kind of it's like you know watching a movie or listening to a song all we can do is be in the present and see where it goes, right. even though the most high knows like, oh, I know what's happening next. I know mm-hmm. where this next note is going to go. I know where yes. this next scene or this next shot is going to be. And mm-hmm. it's frustrating to us because we we're like, I just, <laughs> I need to know, like, keep me, keep me in the know, but we have to be able to rest. I think that, that, that really ties with faith. We have to trust that the most high will lead us. Amen. And I, I, I find it interesting that um, I think it's, Hebrews 12, that talks about how it's quick and powerful. It says, it's living. The scripture is living. Yes, um, But oftentimes people look at Yah's word as this kind of dead and stagnant thing. Like, that's it. It's done. This is exactly where it's going to be. This is the only way. But no, if the scripture itself describes itself as living and alive, mm-hmm. that means it's ever growing and progressing. And yes. that can be very challenging, but we understand that if we are part of the kingdom church, we have to trust the director of this film. We have to trust the um, composer of the symphony that we're living in. Amen. Even though it'd be really hard because, you know, we can be at a slow point and then he's like, okay, it speeds it up. It's like, oh, what's happening? I don't, I don't know. But again, that requires us to have faith. So I think the way you described is that's, that's, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for that.
2: I have, Another thing that came to mind, which might help explain the idea of present truth, if you're looking at the scripture um, like a novel and you're reading it from the beginning to the end, you would think that the only way to deal with the Most High is through um, through the law, through the Levitical priesthood, and there must be a high priest that enters the holiest place the most holy place in the tabernacle once per year to completely absolve me of sin. Okay. Now the scripture all th- all through the Old Testament speaks of a savior that's coming and that a new priesthood would evolve as it were. Right. But while you're, while before his uh, advent to use a, uh, you know, a good technical term, Before his advent, you're thinking law. You're thinking sacrifice. You're thinking um, day of atonement, right? Now, we know uh, that Christ was that lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And when he was on the cross or the tree, people fight over that. The cross is made of wood, wood comes from a tree. Relax, people. So, if if we look at that event, if we're wondering who he is, the the Old Testament has all of these prophetic uh, words about who this man is, and Isaiah 53 is a great place to look. He fulfilled Isaiah 53 to the letter. Now, when Jesus, or Yehoshua, or Yeshua, or Yehoshua, whatever works for you, right, When he was on the the cross and he finally gave up the ghost, the scripture says he yelled with a loud yell and he gave up the ghost. You know, it it must have been a heck of a scene. He's on there, it's midday and the whole sky darkens and everything, you know, and once he finally gives up the ghost, there's like an earthquake and people give testimony of um, dead saints coming up out of the ground and walking around in the city, the Roman centurions or soldiers that were on scene, they said, surely this man was the son of God, right? But here's here's something that shows this idea of present truth. The law immediately converts to grace. In the tabernacle, this curtain that separates between the holy place and the most holy place, and if if you do some study, that curtain was about a foot thick, okay, if not thicker. And that's deep because you know I live in a decent house and we've got some curtains, but none of them are that thick. But I, I needed to tell you that so that when you see what happens in the scripture, you understand that there was an absolute conversion from one truth to another. And the the curtain, the veil was torn. King James says rent, but it means torn from the top to the bottom. I know some strong dudes. I I used to play football in high school, played baseball in college. You know, I know some strong dudes. Some might even call me strong. I, I, you know, I I like to think I used to be strong. (laughs) I lift weights now and I go, no, I'm not strong anymore. But I know some strong dudes and I don't know anybody who can take a Foot thick uh, woven piece of fabric and tear it with their hands. That was the Most High signaling that this old way of approaching me was done, and so the present truth now is you come through this Savior, and so we must adapt to the present truth. If we stay in what was, when the Most Highs move things forward. We miss what he's doing, and so therefore, there is a priority that the kingdom has on the present truth.
0: that's good. that's that's really good. Thank you, uh, Elder and Kanji for breaking that down. I yeah, really, really appreciate that. Let's see if we can go ahead and hit one more before sure. we wrap up today. Um, okay. The next one on the list is functioning fivefold ministry. Can mm. you um mm. go ahead and uh, mm. break that down for us?
2: Okay, I'm I'm going to turn to the scripture. I think I have a decent memory, but I want to highlight some words for everyone. Uh, so, I'm going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at um, starting at verse 11. The scripture says, and he himself, again, I'm reading from the, N- the NKJV, and the he is Jesus. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Oh my. That's a mouthful, ain't it? It is, a, it is a mouthful. But what what what's astounding to me is there is a time component and metric in this discourse that lets you know that all of these roles need to be present until these things have been accomplished. I think it could be safely said that the body of Christ has not all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I think, I think I can get agreement from the body of Christ, from the house of God, that we have not all arrived at that place. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Okay. And and clearly there are still children left that are thrown about by every wind or type of doctrine, and that men are in the, in the body still tricking folk, right? And you know they're using deceitful plotting with cunning craftiness. Listen. The most I made it clear by looking at verse 13, that word till is a time component, until. Until there are no more of these people out here tricking folk, and the believers aren't getting deceived by it, and until the whole body reaches the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and that we're perfect. And let me let me let me define that because people are, whoa, 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 whoa. no no one can be perfect. Let's define it differently. We're not talking about flawlessness. We're talking about maturity. So let, let's take flawlessness off the table. But let's talk about spiritual maturity. I think we all will agree that the church has not arrived at a a standard of spiritual maturity. And so then apostles and prophets along with evangelists, pastors, and teachers are necessary. Okay? Most of the church fights over this as if, you know, we can somehow debate apostles and prophets out of the church. Ridiculous. This makes it clear. Until the church has arrived at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, apostles and prophets are necessary. All right, I'm going to quote another one for Tom's sake, not to I won't read it. I don't want, won't wait for folk to turn there. but Ephesians two verse 20, the scripture says that the apostles and prophets are the are the foundation of the church with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Amazing, amazing. Now you could define your way out of that while saying, well, of course, the apostles that are in this, in the Bible. And the prophets from the old testament maybe even the new they're the foundation of the church and jesus of course is the is the uh, chief cornerstone well if the church needs them all to reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ that means to me that apostles and prophets are still the foundation of the church and there is a need for them to exist, for the foundations that cause everything to grow up straight in the body now. And that's why functioning fivefold ministry is required. And if your goal is the maturing of the saints, the, the making of disciples, it's impossible for them to reach that standard that the scripture shows without all five of those grace gifts being there. I want to pause to see if you have any comments or statements and then maybe we'll go to Second Corinthians one twenty-four.
1: I do have a question and it may be controversial, you know, especially with today's time. <laughs> not and, not with, with you.
2: Not with you, Sister Deborah B. Not with you, ever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, in comparison to the early church versus now, would you say in terms of the fivefold ministry, can women take on the roles of apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, so on and so forth? And then my second question is the distribution of titles. Are titles as important as the fivefold ministry functions?
2: Okay. Controversial, yes. Uh, good questions, also, yes. Um, I'm going to deal with the second one first, okay? We're going to deal with them both because we're not avoiding anything. But the second one first, Um, we need to understand that you have to use words to communicate ideas and concepts. But if you don't understand the words, you will not actually reach the concept that the most High had in mind. And so titles in terms of the word elder, the word bishop, the words apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, those are words. They can be defined as titles, but from the perspective of the Most High, it's all about function. So these titles are not conferred as rewards for credentialization. They're not conferred Uh, based on one's uh, ability to influence people by the strength of their charisma. They're not conferred because you're the most likely to talk amongst a group. They're not conferred in that way. You can rightly use the word title, but they are all functions. And so, if indeed they are functions, and indeed they are, we must have the definition that comes from the Most High, because these are his ideas, they're not human ideas. And when you have the the proper definition, then when men, and I purposefully said that, when men fulfill those roles, then you find that what is supposed to result from their presence occurs, okay? Okay. So I kind of rolled into your first question a little bit. Listen, those roles are for males. Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean that males are inherently better than females. God forbid. God forbid. I have a quiver full of daughters, and I have a wife whom very shortly I will have been married to for 35 years. I happen to know that I'm no better than any of them. I have my function. I have my place. I have my role. But comparatively, I'm not better than any human being. I don't consider myself better than the drunk on skid row, be that drunk male or female. Okay? Here's what humans do. Humans determine uh, by title whether someone is better than the other or not what the most high has in mind with respect to function is that each of us has a function that is supportive to the whole it doesn't make you better doesn't make you worse it makes you supportive when the scripture talks about the parts of the body and in this case we'll deal with the male and the female they are not competitive and one is not better than the other they are supportive, complimentary, okay? Now, the reason the most high has determined to make the male um, the example of his leadership, I can't say that I know all the reasons for it, but I know that he did it, (laughs) okay? Now, I can say one of the reasons that he made females to be submitted to a particular male is this, is because that the female represents the body of Christ. The female represents the church. He, the Most High, determined to make the male representative of himself. I will tell you this, in neither case is it about um, just suitability, It's not as if the woman could not have been or could not have represented the other, but the Most High made a choice. One thing that He knows about humanity is this we need to see something to understand something. If we don't see something, it's very likely that we won't understand a thing. And so it is obvious that a male human. Is no better than a woman human. But he chose to make that male representative of him. And in that requirement, he must submit to the Most High. The woman is representative of the entire church. In order for the church, who is called to be the light unto the world, and to, as Mark uh, 16, shows, to work miracles, to cast out demons, to do all these kinds of things, that woman must submit to the Most High. And so both roles require submission. And what the view is for humanity is, okay, I see this role of government I see this role of helps and we're going to talk about governments and helps. Okay. Here's here's the end of my answer. I know some people are, you know, unhappy already because I said governments is a role that it's male. All right. And one of the reasons I can't speak for every reason, but one of the reasons females or women, want to be in government is because they can be profound in certain gifting. I'm, some of the best uh, explainers of ideas that I've ever heard are women. Uh, a woman can prophesy with such specificity and power because the scripture says we may all prophesy, we may all learn one by one. doesn't say just males. A woman can lay hands on the sick. And the sick will recover, but we see someone recovering. We say, well, that person must be a, and we give them a title rather than understanding function. Let me say this last thing about governments and helps. Government's role is not to be the chief doer. Government's role is to do and to enable everyone else to do. And so the judgment upon government is did you help others do? Are you hearing me? My judgment will be not only did I do this, that, or the other, it'll be who did you help? How did you help? Did you uh, conform to my image enough so that when they look at you, they think of me instead of just you? Did you show them what it means to prophesy? Did you show them what it means to cast out devils. Do you understand? That's why James says, uh, you know, don't be in a rush to take this role, brothers. Don't be in a rush because your judgment ain't just about were you a good person or not now. Your judgment is, did you help the rest of the body learn how to do? Now, for the helps, and yeah, when people hear the word helps, they think of vacuuming, They think of counting, offering money. They think of passing out church fans. They think of ushering, you know, you know what I'm saying? Because that's what we've seen. That is the proof that you learn by what you see. And that is why the most high separates these roles out and causes us to see and learn. But listen, helps. Helps doesn't mean those mundane things that I just described. Helps means to do everything. So the woman may cast out devils better than a particular man. The woman may explain certain things about concepts in the scripture better than some men. The woman may prophesy with more specificity than than someone who is actually called a prophet. We think that the profundity of one's ability to do defines their role. That is error. Okay. Uh to answer your question, and I've started to go into to other broadcasts that we will do in the future, but I, it was it was required to answer the question. Oh uh, and 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 let me say this lastly, I hadn't even uh brought this out in consideration. I did say for those that are in government that Your judgment is based on your ability to help others do for judgment entirely. Okay. Your judgment as a believer is based on, of course, first and foremost, did you submit your life uh, to Christ and the father? But beyond that, because listen, if that's the whole deal, the moment you get saved, you can die. If that's the whole deal, we know it's not the whole deal. I got saved, you know, decades ago and I'm still here because there's something else beyond just being saved. Amen. Now, your judgment further beyond the question of salvation is, did you do what I put you on earth to do? And so a woman who is not called to be in government, but she had three things the Most High wanted her to do in life. We won't define it by her marital status, but, you know, let's say she's married. Let's, let's say she has children. Of course, you got to be a good wife. You got to be a good mother. But the Most High wanted her always to be available to young women, single or unmarried or married, and just help them understand how to be a woman. Help them understand how to be a woman. Show them what it means to to understand all of these concepts in the scripture. And she's faithful to that. And I'll use me as the male example. The Most High had twelve things for me to do. I die, and I did ten point nine of them well. Many people would applaud and hooray, and the Most High will say, you know, well done. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. However, the the scripture talks about there'll be a certain portion of my works that are burned. Whereas this sister, who the Most High gave her three things to do, and she did 2.97 well. You know, the little burning that she experiences like the lighting of a match. (laughs) And And in the kingdom... Because the scripture tells us, you know, I know people talk about someone being married and, you know, they might have been married 50 years. And once they die, they're going to be together. Uh, 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 uh. The scripture says when you're after this life, you're like the angels and you neither marry nor give in marriage. All right. So in the kingdom, I might have to submit to this woman who did 2.97 out of 3 when I did 10.9 out of 12, which isn't bad. Do you hear what I'm saying? your role is not about the profundity of what you do. It's about your obedience. And so in short, you know, nothing is was short about that, but, <laughs> but in short to conclude, no, a, a woman is not called to government, but that doesn't mean she can't ruin what devils have put in place for centuries. That's not just the role
0: of the apostle. Amen. 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 Uh, thank you for that. Uh, uh, Elder and Kinji. I feel like there is a lot there. I'm, I'm going to try to just touch on one thing real quick as Surely. we wrap up um, mm-hmm. this this episode. Because, again, we still have a, a lot a lot to cover. Yes. Um, we, we only hit two topics today. So, you know, there, <laughs> there, there, there's more to discuss. But I, I find it interesting when um, you were explaining and answering Sister Deborah B's question. Um, one thing that stood out to me that you said is that we as humanity in general we learn pretty much from what we see. And mm-hmm. I understand that there are different learning styles and sure. different intelligent intelligences and different geniuses that people mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. But in general, we need to see something, yes. whether it's visually or mentally, we see things like we can put things together. You know, if somebody gets the right explanation in words, they can visualize it and that's all they need. Um, I just find it interesting that. The, the enemy of our soul is really good at distorting images. Yes. And as you are describing governments and helps and the positions, the way that the most high has designed things,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he has a perfect image of what he wants to fulfill. Yes. But all, it, all it takes is a, a little distortion, a little change of focus and perspec- pr- perspective. You are telling now, the truth. You know, like now miss it. Because yes. even th- this idea of, you're highlighting function mm-hmm. even the idea of functioning fivefold ministry the the function serves a purpose that ultimately glorifies the most high mm-hmm. his whole plan is like i i want to this is my end goal or okay. whatever but all the enemy has to do is change your end goal so now it's not about the most high or about serving people or serving your function it's about you yes. it's about Cause you know, we're talking about titles and things like that. Like how can I draw as much attention and light to myself because of Lord this title? And this can be for men or women, Absolutely, you know? it doesn't, doesn't have to be one sex or the other, but it's just, it's just really wild to me how really good at distorting images that sends us on the wrong path. And it's been doing it since the beginning. We know that, you know, if we look in Genesis, just a, a little change in sentence structure yes. In lead to eons of deceit and uh, that that's just crazy. But thank you. Thank you again for breaking down these topics as we, you know, continue to study and walk through this and get a better understanding of kingdom order principles. Um, Was there anything else that you, that you all wanted to say before we wrap up today's uh, session?
1: No, I'm full actually, just even off of the two that we addressed today. I believe that I've learned a lot in, you know, my Understanding of the Kingdom Church and its characteristics is something I can take and study even further to bring back to the next episode.
2: Amen. Well, you know, I always have more, but I, I, I will, you know, for discipline's sake and for clarity of these shows, I will not go into much more, except to say, when we come back again, I, I want to talk about government. A little more, we, I think we need to stay with functioning fivefold ministry a little more. I will say this to whet the appetite, as it were. When men learn how they're supposed to function in government, it will destroy this myth of the, the idea, the idea that men don't need to rule. This idea of patriarchy being destructive it'll destroy it because there's nothing that the most high that's ever made that's destructive everything he made is good i'll stop there
0: that's a cliffhanger that's a good cliffhanger right there <laughs> I mean, i'm, I'm gonna say that's good you are <laughs> we are getting ready to step on toes but uh thank you all um for those who are watching uh, either on youtube or listening on a podcast thank you for joining us for, as we continue to discuss these kingdom order principles Until next time, you all be blessed, stay safe, and we will be back because we got a lot to talk about. We'll be back, uh, uh, Lord willing, in the next session.